really, you cannot know God through the intellect. You can only know God through love because God is not an object that we can analyze. God is an experience that we enter into. So I have now moved from having to know, needing to know, having to have all of my doctrine correct and then convince everybody that this is correct. I've let go of all of that to finally realize the whole point of this thing is just to be a good, kind, compassionate human being. Welcome to episode 52 of the Fight for Brilliance podcast. I'm Justin Keller, your host. And this is the show where every single week the goal is that the conversations here would challenge you to rebel against complacency and conformity and to fight for brilliance in every area of your life. And I believe that when we choose to do that, it will help us live, lead, and create more brilliantly. And so I am excited for this episode and for today's guest. There's actually two guests, Danny Prada, and he and I have a conversation about what it has looked like for him to question his beliefs and actually find his own truth. We're going to get into that and I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a second. But my first guest on the show this week is somebody who, if you follow me on Instagram, you see him on my feed. Uh, I talk about him a lot. I'm pretty much obsessed with him. And that is my son, five-year-old London Keller. And he and I had a really meaningful conversation (laughs) about a girlfriend that he has. This is an imaginary girlfriend. Uh, I do not know where she came from. She's not a cartoon character. Uh, her name is Pad. And he constantly tries to send her songs from Spotify and text them to her on my phone. Um, he wants to send her letters. And I have no clue who she is. But since he's home here with me this week, and I was trying to get work done while he was here, which if you've been trying to do that, during this whole COVID experience, you know how that goes. And um, he decided to jump in as I was recording. So I decided let's do a little interview with um, London about his girlfriend, Pad. So here you go. What do you want to talk about? Pad. Okay, tell us all about Pad. What color hair does she have? Is this your girlfriend, by the way? Yeah. Okay. And, and can you tell me where Pad lives? So I know my feet on my on my phone and no one works with my mouth on my phone. Yeah, you would like to send her something? Yeah. Okay, well, here's a question for you. I don't know where she lives because you told me all about this girl named Pat who I've never met and I'm not sure if I approve of her yet. Um, she better be pretty. Is she pretty? Yes. Okay, yes. she's really pretty. What color yeah. eyes does she have? I don't know. Ooh. But what pink color? eyes. Pink eyes. That's that's usually not and something you. Mixed, her hair Wait a minute. Hold on. She has pink her, eyes. And her hair. And her hair is blonde hair. She has blonde hair, pink eyes, and is she tall or short? She's actually short. Yeah, she actually spends time with me. Okay. Pad what do you? What's your What's your favorite thing? What's your favorite thing about Pad? To drive with her and and take the baby to church school. You guys take the baby to church school together. Yeah. You guys are kind of moving fast here. And um, you just met. Do- and drive right down to the dog park, and I hate him. You go to the dude. You don't say hate. Sorry. And so yeah, we cut the conversation off right there, where he started using the word hate, as we are trying to avoid that word, as well as stupid, and a list of other words <laughs> that he seems to enjoy still trying to use even though he knows he's not supposed to but that conversation is one that is on repeat for months here uh help me if you know who pad could possibly be we need to make sure they're connected and um yeah he's really building a life (laughs) with her oh it has been interesting though with all that's been going on and it's been also kind of neat to have him here and have those moments like that. Uh, there are other moments like the other day when I was on a client call and he decided to unplug the Wi-Fi. Those moments are not so special, but I will laugh at that from now on. So now for the real conversation for this show and for this episode, let's get into the conversation that I had with a good friend of mine, Danny Prada out of Florida. He's a pastor there at a church called Heartway. 
And I love Danny. He is somebody who I've just watched the evolution of his life, especially when it comes to his spiritual journey. And I just really resonate and connect with his approach now, especially coming from someone like myself here, who we both grew up in a very you know straightforward, strict uh, Christian home. And we're able to actually talk about how we had to uh, both really learn our own faith and redefine kind of what religion means once you get past the inherited religion that you have and even find the good in some of the things that we've let go of. And so let's get into that conversation right now here with Danny Pryor. Every one of us are already made brilliant. You don't have to create that brilliance and you don't have to wish you had it. It's already in you. But you're going to have to fight to find that brilliance and you're going to have to fight even harder to live out your brilliance. Now let's get ready to have a conversation that will challenge you to rebel against complacency and conformity and fight for brilliance in every area of your life. Well, Danny, thanks for being on here with me. Uh, you know, Danny and I would have met almost gosh, seven, six, seven years ago now, you were working at the first church that ever said, we'll, we'll trust this crazy guy, Justin Keller, to come work with us. You were the first, that was the first one for you. That's amazing. Yeah. That church was the first, the first client for me. But what was interesting about that church and just seeing your life is that church was, you know, a large mega church. Mm-hmm. Um, which there is absolutely nothing wrong with. I'm part of one even here in Houston. Um, so I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it was fun to watch you and to see you go and launch your own church. And when I was just watching from the inside or from the outside here, I could see that you're doing something different. And I liked it a lot. I liked the conversations you were creating. It was a different approach. You know, there wasn't, uh, it was pretty simple is what it seemed like. Mm-hmm. And I really, I really like that. So what I wanted to start with today with you is, you know, talk to me a little bit about your faith journey. So, you know, it, it's been between working inside of churches for so many years, you know, and just an upbringing of your, your life, whatever that looked like. You've been on a journey, I would say, up to this point. That's just faith has evolved, right? Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah. Big time. I have evolved big time through this journey. So, well, talk to me, just talk to me a little bit about that. Just give, you know, everyone that's listening kind of a picture of what's your faith journey been like? Yeah, so I definitely started out with a lot of structure. I grew up in, in a wonderful Christian home with parents who, you know, were handed down a particular sort of faith that was all they knew. And that was the norm. And it would be what maybe we can call evangelicalism, conservative evangelicalism today. And I have uh, wonderful experiences with the church because I was, I was raised in that setting and, and it mattered to my parents that I was constantly around uh, God talk. So eventually I had so many of those seeds that were planted in my life that one day when I was uh, 18, 19 years old in college, uh, I feel like those seeds that have been planted within me all those years began to sprout on their own. Uh, and that's a whole nother conversation in itself. But to make a long story short, I, I started meeting some people who were young and who were passionate about their faith. And that inspired me to want to learn more and dig deeper and ask more questions about myself and life. And so that began uh, to take me down the road that I'm on now. So at that time, I was a freshman in college at Nova Southeastern University. From there, I transferred to uh, another school to get my Bachelor of Arts in Ministry Leadership. And then after that, I went to seminary school. And I went to seminary at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. So I got like the strictest, most dogmatic approach to Christianity that you can ever have. Okay, that's what I was trained in. And from there, uh, once I graduated from there, things started to shift for me because I was given a faith that seemed to be very close-minded. Half of my family is Roman Catholic. The other half of my family is Pentecostal Charismatic. And here I was at a Southern Baptist school with people that were telling me that we basically had the correct interpretation and we are the ones that really had the truth and all of those other Christians 
are, are in doctrinal error. And uh, we didn't say nice things about Christians, quote-unquote, who were in doctrinal error, which basically just means you didn't agree with my interpretation of this Bible verse. And uh, that, it just wasn't working for me anymore. I was, I, I couldn't, my experience didn't match up with what I was being taught because I would talk to these Catholic people. I would talk to these charismatic people and Pentecostal people. And I would talk to uh, more progressive people who were Christians, but they didn't believe exactly what I did about certain things. And they seemed to be more loving and, and, and compassionate and, and like Jesus than the people that I was hanging around with who were like the ones who were supposed to have it. Mm. So that is what really started to get me questioning. And uh, so I decided to read a little more broadly and uh, explore a little more and go outside of my comfort zone in terms of what information I was exposing myself to. And uh, that led me down a rabbit hole that uh, towards the end of it, now, uh, well, let me say this, towards in the middle of it, it was very dark, you know, to the point where I felt like maybe I need to just throw away the whole thing. Maybe Christianity is not for me. Let me start. Let me stop there. Um, so because what I think, I know personally, at least in a lot of us, you know, we've been, we've inherited some sort of beliefs, right? Some sort of set of beliefs, whether doesn't matter what denomination you grow up in. At some point, you don't get to choose. You're told what to believe. Mm-hmm. Every kid, every person. I, I, so you went on this journey of from what I've inherited to what I now feel like I want to learn and discover myself. It, it can be scary, right? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes, it is. So, you know, first and foremost did you struggle with the idea of like, am I supposed to question this? Listen, you have no idea (laughs) how many long, rather sleepless nights I had over anxiety pertaining to theology. Hmm. Because let me, first of all, before I go into that, let me say this. What you just described was the shift from secondhand religion to firsthand religion that every human being has to make in order to grow into the fullness of who God created them to be. Secondhand religion is the religion that was given to you, prepackaged. This is what it is. This is what you need to believe. Why? Because we said so. First-hand religion is when you make that your own. And when religion becomes less of an obligation and more of a desire, because now you know these things to be true for yourself. You have tested these claims through your experience of life. So anyhow, that is the shift that I went through. And that's the, that is the journey I'm trying to take people on from second-hand religion to first-hand religion. That's good. I like the way you described that. I, you know, I've heard a lot of you know, iterations of that thought, but that is one of the simplest ways I've heard it communicated. I really, I really like that. Talk to me a little bit about um, why was it dark for you? You know, without, you know, I just, when you're wrestling with this and you feel like maybe at some point I was just trying to be curious and learn more about you, God. And now I actually feel like maybe giving up on this whole thing. Like, how did that happen? Or how'd you get yourself to that point, do you think? Part of it was like what you just said in the last question, like I, I was taught in the stream of Christianity that I was trained in reform theology. I was taught that what mattered most was articulating truth. I was taught that what mattered most was the intellect, how I rationalize and believe about God. So when my beliefs started to be questioned, that was my foundation Mm -hmm. because I thought everything was about having the right beliefs. Well, if those beliefs aren't right, then do I need to throw out this whole thing? You know, for example, like, okay, if I find one historical error, or scientific mishap in the Bible. 
Does that mean now everything else I have to throw it out? Because I was told the Bible has no errors. So if there's one contradiction, oh my God, this whole thing is fake. This whole thing is false. And, and so can you see how the anxiety starts to build up? You know, and so once you ask one question, you're going to ask another question, which will lead to another question. And, and, and one theologian calls it a house of cards theology, where like if you just flick one of those cards, the whole thing comes down. That's what happened to me. So of course, and then I felt super guilty. I felt like I'm not supposed to be doing this. Like all, and then on, on top of that, when you're shamed through this process, and I don't, I don't blame anybody, you know, because that's all they know. But when people now criticize you because you're asking questions and stuff like that, and they're mean spirited to you because of that, that's why I learned that really you cannot know God through the intellect. You can only know God through love because God is not an object that we can analyze. God is an experience that we enter into. And God is the experience of wholeness, relatedness, and connectivity with the divine, with all of creation and nature, with your neighbor and with your own self. That for me represents what Jesus was all about. So I have now moved from having to know, needing to know, having to have all of my doctrine correct and then convince everybody that this is correct. I've let go of all of that to finally realize the whole point of this thing is just to be a good, kind, compassionate human being. Hmm. At what point did you realize, and maybe it's partly connected to what you just said, but at what point did you shift from, okay, this isn't fake. Even if I find something that maybe I feel is contradictory to what I'm sensing or what I know, mm -hmm. I'm moving from this isn't fake, this is real when did that shift happen for you or, or how do you wrestle with that or, or rationalize that in your What, what do you life? mean by the, the, this is fake? Well, you, you went from like, if this is my foundation and if I see oh. an error in what scripture says versus like a historical context or, or something else, then is it fake? And when did you realize like, no matter what I see here, I know this is truth. That's a, that's a good question. I started to run into a problem that one scholar by the name of Christian Smith calls pervasive interpretive pluralism. Okay. What that means is <laughs> you can say that the Bible is totally true and without error. But you cannot say that your interpretation of the Bible is totally true and without error. So if that's the case, what's the point of saying the Bible is totally true and without error? What I mean by that is once we actually begin to accept as human beings that we're never just saying what the Bible says, we always have to interpret the text. We're always bringing our own experiences, our own uh, subconscious thinking to the text. Once we can own up to the fact that our view of a particular text is subjective, we have to make room that everybody else is too. And so I started realizing, oh, guess what? Everybody, all of the smartest theologians and scholars believe different things about every issue. <laughs> there's, a there's a multitude of different issues. And so I came finally to realize that's what drove me crazy. I'm like, which one do I believe? They all support it with the Bible and church history. And ah, what do I do? This is so confusing. That's when I finally realized, you know what? We don't really know for sure. So I don't have to have anxiety over like knowing who's going to heaven and hell. I don't have to have anxiety about like how the end times are going to play out. I don't have to have anxiety about how to, um, you know, talk about the way the world began. Like, this is way more mysterious than I've ever known. And, and God is infinitely knowable. If God is God, God is not going to fit in our minds. So we have to be okay with allowing the unknown to be the unknown. And that's where it started to change for me. 
I love that. And uh, you said so much inside of that. <laughs> it's a lot to unpack. But one of the things that made me think about while you were saying all that was what, uh, why would faith and personal faith and ownership of faith be necessary if there was just this clear set of answers that there is nothing to question. It's as is like, you know, and, and so you brought up something that I think is super curious for me that I just want to ask probably selfishly and nobody else might care about at all, <laughs> but Go for you're, it. you're preaching, you're, you're a pastor. And so every week you're up in front of people communicating. When I heard you just articulate what you said, to me, I heard that it's possible that you might also be wrong sometimes. Yeah, of course. Of course. That's why I don't, uh, I'm not trying to convince you that I'm right. I'm just talking to you about my experience. Mm. All I can do is point to my experience of God in everyday life. Like for me, when I read through the scriptures, you know what my goal and intent is? I don't, I want to have the same experiences that they had that led them to say the things that they did. Does that make sense? Like, I'm not just concerned with what did they say. I want to know what was the experience of God that led them to say that so that I can speak for myself too. And now as I speak out of my experience and I go back to the scriptures, that what I read there can affirm what I'm experiencing in my everyday life. That's good. So, so would be would the thing that pulled you out of sort of that spot where you said maybe at one point I was just going down this rabbit hole. I was maybe even in a dark spot. Would that the point of kind of coming out of that? Would it have been the moment where you sort of actually just let go and decided to just trust the process? Trust you know that it's bigger than what you can comprehend. Is what was the key to getting out of that for you? Well, I have to speak carefully. Because I, like I said, I feel like I'm just flowering into that now. Good. So one of the things that, that I, and I'm glad you preface with that. So part of this, what I want these conversations to be on this show uh, are conversations that, look, this isn't about something that's perfected. This is about the process. Oh yeah. And so oh, if you're yeah. in process on this, you know, I'll hold you to it forever, but I'm just kidding. But I think it's, I think that's helpful regardless yeah. of something that you've mastered or perfected to just understand, okay, this is in process. So talk to me about what that looks like in process for you right now. Cause somebody else probably is. Yeah. It's just a matter of finding the right words, but it, it was more and more of a, of a surrender. It was more and more of a letting go. It was, a, it was, it was, it was being okay with not having answers. So here is where I found a little bit of stability in that. Because when you look back at Christian history and the Christian tradition, there is a treasure house of spiritual works by the church fathers, by the mystics, by the monastics, by the aesthetics, uh, the ascetics, excuse me, who, um, who talk about God as infinite mystery, who speak of spirituality as a journey into unknowing, where really all it is is learning how to go with the flow of life. Because you, like you said, you just kind of trust that there's so much more going on here than what you can concoct in your mind. So let me just learn how to sit in that and rest in that and be okay in that. I know, I know I'm not probably articulating this correctly, but like I said, it's, it, this is new for me. So, well, I, well, no, I think that's great. And this is, that's, I want these to be conversations that, you know, I would have with you if I was just sitting with you having coffee. So, you know, when you talk about that, it makes me think about, what was really hard for me growing up inside of the church pastors, you know, kid, um, when my mom was, she had lupus for years, a lot of other things happened and she passed away when she was 54. Uh, yeah. I was 27. And, and yet that woman, I remember walking downstairs every single morning, pretty, but there's very few things I remember in my childhood, but I do remember walking down 
And almost every morning, seeing my mom sitting in that same chair in the same spot in the living room, reading her Bible. And you, you look at things like that, and you think that's the person that nothing should go wrong for, right? Like she has done nothing wrong. She, she can't harm anything or anyone. Mm-hmm. Like this is the person who deserves things to go right. Mm-hmm. And I look at me and I think, I, how did that happen? How did something go well for me when I did absolutely nothing to deserve that? Quite the mm-hmm. opposite, you know, and I've done some pretty bad things that you would think, well, how can good things happen mm-hmm. to me? So it's, mm-hmm. it's just for me, when you talk about the letting go part of it um, is I, I found that my faith has been strengthened in the not knowing versus you know, because what your response can be when you don't know is either you don't care and you just, you're negligent with life and you just move on without giving any thought to it. Or your response can be, I want to believe in something bigger than myself. I want to lean into this. And I think you talk about being curious, you know, even on your website, it's one of the things you talk about um, for who you welcome. And, pardon? Go ahead and finish that. No, I was just going to say, that's helped me actually just remain curious about you know, what, what, where, what do I need to believe right now? And okay, so that didn't happen, but what, you know, what is God still to me and what is this still to me? So mm-hmm. it's more about like what I don't know, but what is this still? Yeah. So I have had to let go of some preconceived ideas, but what is it yeah. and what does it still remain to be for me? Let me ask you, like with your mother, how was, um, how does she handle all of that as she was going through it? Well, first of all, I'm interviewing you. So, but well, I well, I wanted to say something based off that. Okay, so I grew up in the background of where you just believe it's going to get better, right? You okay, just right. you just say it's going to get better. So it, she did not, uh, we, you know, she didn't dismiss it. It's not like we didn't talk about it or acknowledge it, but you know, we were to just use words of faith and. Uh, speak it, you know, into right. You know, right. That better. was what, right. That's what right. Yeah. And did that carry her through that? Do you did she find peace in that at all? Was I've never thought about that a lot. Um, and it's, and I think that's a great question because it probably did. You know, I was listening to a podcast today, and um, it's a, and a former NFL player. I think he's former, and his daughter had uh, cancer when she was four years old, and he 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 said to her, he said, but when she'd go into chemo, he taught her we put on our game face, right? Like no matter what pain you feel, no matter what you're going through, like you, you got, you have to get through this. Like we need you, you need to get through this. So I wonder if it was a little bit of a game face that she put on. So it probably did help. Why? What's your thoughts behind that? I asked that because something that I'm learning is how to embrace all of the nonsensical stuff in life and all of the quote-unquote unfair suffering that you've mentioned, I'm learning like how important it is to embrace that as a part of the journey and to allow that to be my greatest teacher in life, like my pain and my suffering. What can that show me about myself? And when I talk about my, like the letting go and the surrender, like what I mean is learning how to, if God is, if, if God is the experience of love, peace, wholeness, connectivity, union, if God is the experience of that, how can I find God in even those moments? And so I'm learning that those moments are the catalyst to get me to that place where I can experience union with God, which for me means the peace that surpasses all understanding. Be able to live in that mode. What that's what I mean. Like my spiritual journey has led me to the place. The other side of that for me has came when I said, "Let me let go of all this other stuff that doesn't really matter." Like, why am I fighting about how to articulate different doctrines and beliefs? Like, it's not about that. All of that is meant to be a tool to get me to experience the love and the joy and the peace that the Spirit is offering to me every moment of my life. So how can I tap into that? That's what, the, that's what my journey has been. And so I asked that about your mom because I'm like, you know, that, those are the moments that show you who you really are and who, what life really is. And when we, when we just come to embrace what life throws at us and we learn how to flow with it, something happens inside of us, you know? 
And I love that you say that because, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought about it like that. And, you know, that's, that's a, that's a different way of even looking at my mom now, you know, through that, that lens, which you, it wasn't just a lens of like dismissing what's happening, you mm-hmm. know, at all. It's that, in a lot of ways, it was more of a lens of trusting God and not mm-hmm. letting it take her down in every single way, you know? And like, let me tell you something like about my maturity, right? Like you kept saying like, you know, you come from the background where it's like you just, it's faith and you make the claim and you say it. Like if, um, if we were like to get into that conversation, I'm sure we'd be able to talk a lot of, about a lot of, um, about how unhealthy a lot of that uh, way of thinking is, you know, um, it, it could be unhealthy. However, so my point is like, in the past, I probably would have looked at, at people like that, who would approach a situation in life like that and been like, that's wrong, like, that's not right, and whatever. Now I'm able to look like listen to a story of your mom like that and be like, wow, that's beautiful. And I'm so glad that her approach worked for her. I have said that it taught me optimism. So growing up in that, yes. in that kind of environment yes. would have been way better than growing up in an environment where the, like the sky is falling every day. Of course. And we can't be naive, right? So part of, part of like this journey, like we're not making this about you. It's just we're, since this is the conversation. Like, oh, it's a good conversation. <laughs> yeah. So, but we're just talking, right? But part of that journey for you is, 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 learning how to look out at life through that optimistic lens, but not naively, right? Because you, you see reality for what it is. And you know that like, it's not about me trying to change my circumstances as much as it is my circumstances trying to change me. But with that being said, I'm still going to look out at life with a sense of hope. So that's like when you can learn how to, that's what I had to do. Like, cause I was so bitter towards my Christian past, like, and the way that I was taught And now I'm learning like how to appreciate all of that because all of that led me to where I am now. And, and I've, I'm learning how to like meet those people where they are. And those people are not going to get better and grow into a fullness of love by me pointing my finger at them and telling them how wrong they are. They're only going to grow into the fullness of love and into the fullness of Christ likeness when I am the presence of Christ for them. So that is, that's what it's all about, dude. So talk to me about, about this. When you, as a pastor, as a friend, as a human being, side by side people in life, you come across people just like I do and everyone does that are hurting, that are going through some real crap. Uh, man, it could be they're facing, you know, I had to go through, I walked through a divorce. Could be somebody walking through family members who are, mm-hmm. you know, sick and there's really no hope in sight. But especially when people are doing things in their own life that are self-destructive. How do you walk alongside of them as a Christian, you know, as a human being, just loving them through that? How do you do that well? Because it's something that I've, I'm trying to learn because it's hard to help someone that doesn't want help, one. And then how do you be there for them through that? So I'm just wondering, how do you walk through people's pain, especially self-inflicted pain that they can't get past themselves? How do you love them through that? Yeah, something that's that's helped me. I've I've learned this through my minimal experience pastoring. I used to think that my job, and I still fall into this sometimes, you know. Um, but I used to think that my job was to give people the answer. I used to think my job was like to help them see things, help them see things the way that they're supposed to see things, you know. So. Um, that didn't work a lot for me because (laughs) the truth is if people don't see things for themselves, then they don't see them. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can't convince you of it. You have to see it for yourself. Like I can, I can believe in you, but if you don't believe in yourself, right? Like I can tell you this other perspective, but if you don't see it as the good perspective for yourself, that's not going to work. So now I, I want to be more attentive I want to listen more and I want to draw out the answer out of the person themselves. Does that make sense? Because I believe and the scriptures teach this, that the spirit of God is within us, teaching us and guiding us. The truth is within us. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is within. 
So I believe people already know the truth. They're just blinded to it. People already have the truth. They're just not awake to it. God is always at work. We just don't know it. So I want to help people move into that on, on their own. And part of that is just by helping them do some self-inquiry, some self-reflection. Most of our problems are problems that we create ourselves. You use the word self-destruct. Yeah, that's really what we do with everything. Uh, the, the problems that we think we have are really just like the issues we think we have with other people are just issues we have with ourselves. So if I can allow everything in my life to be a mirror that reflects me back to myself, now guess what? I can't blame or put sh shift the responsibility on anyone else. Now I have to look within. And that's when everything changes. That's when you begin to transform. That's when you find God. I like that. Um, so a couple of things I want to get into before uh, that I for sure want to be able to talk to you about. Um, one, I, I do really love how on one of the first statements I saw on your website was just that you're a home for spiritually curious and a safe place for those who have questions. I think that's, it's evident in the way you communicate that you're trying to create conversations versus convert. And I appreciate that about you. And so you, you made a statement that, and I think it was recently that I saw this. It's an interesting statement and I have really no thought on it other than I want to hear your thoughts on it, which is you said something in the lines of this, which is you can be hundred percent, hundred and ten percent on the path of following Jesus and still remain open to other ways God is at work in humanity. Mm -hmm. Just unpack that for me. What is that? What are you saying with that? What is, cause what does that even mean? Okay, sure. I, if, if you allow me, I can get a little nerdy with uh, this. Answer. Go for it. <laughs> I can get a little theological. Um, I am somebody who absolutely loves the concept of Trinity. Okay, as Christians, the Trinity is foundational to our thought process and our theology. Something I think people have neglected, or let me say it like this, something that I think people have done is to place an overemphasis on Jesus. <laughs> what I mean by that is we have reduced the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit to Jesus. And we have to remember that even though, technically speaking, the Father, Son, and Spirit share the same essence, they are still distinct from one another. So even though they are united, they're still distinct. Even though they're inseparable, they still cannot be confused. So this is why Jesus could say paradoxical things like, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And I and the Father are one. And this is why Jesus could also say, the Father is greater than I. The Father is greater than I. So one early church father by the name of Maximus the Confessor used to speak about something called multiple incarnations. What he meant by that is, even though God has been revealed in the person of Jesus, and God has become incarnate in the person of Jesus, God has also been revealed, and God has also become incarnate in all of creation. All of nature is the very self-expression of God. Which means, even though we see who God is in all of God's fullness in the person of Jesus, God's beauty, God's love, God's wisdom, God's very presence can also be seen and found through everything that God has made. And so that is why I believe that Jesus is the way that is open to other ways. Because I believe that the way of Jesus is the way of love. And even though Love is found in every religion. Love belongs to no religion. And so if people have access to love, they have access to God. And so anywhere I acknowledge, anywhere I see the fruit of the Spirit, I acknowledge the presence of God's Spirit at work. And so I like the passage of Scripture in 1 John that says, anyone who loves knows God and is born of God. For some reason, we have taken the very narrow passages of Scripture 
And we've interpreted those wider, more gracious scriptures in light of the more narrow ones. I want to challenge people because I think this is Jesus's approach. Why don't we take those more compassionate scriptures, those wider scripture, and interpret the more narrow, difficult ones in light of that greater love and hope? If we were to do that, Christianity would look a lot different. That's an interesting perspective. Hmm. I like that. Okay, so last thing I want to talk to you about would be, um, talk to me about meditation because this is a topic that, you know, I think, especially the backgrounds that, you know, you and I both have, like that's a, the way that meditate, meditation is a very hot topic right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm reading a book by, you know, a neuroscientist talking about the power of, of meditation and what that does to actually heal and restore our brain. And so, you know, as a, as a Christian though, you know, the only thing I would think about would be meditate on God's word. Like that just means study it, right? That's what I would have thought. So it's interesting. How do you, what are your thoughts on like medic meditation as a Christian, not just like as a spiritual, you know, person? Mm-hmm. Let me say this. Mother Teresa was once asked, what do you say to God when you pray? And she said, nothing. I just listen. And then they said, well, what does God say? And she said, nothing. He just listens. That was prayer for Mother Teresa. So many times when we think about prayer, we think that prayer is talking. Did you know that many of the earliest Christians actually said that prayer with words was the lowest form of prayer? The highest form of prayer, where you experience the most intimacy with God, is prayer without words. When you move beyond words, when you move beyond thought, because any thought and any word is going to be a limitation on God. And so meditative practice is prayer. It's the kind of prayer that Paul described when he said praying without ceasing. So meditation is a time that you set apart to rest in the presence of God, to distance yourself from the constant noise that's in your mind. And in doing that, you begin to enter into the space of the soul, the space of the heart. In that silence beneath your thoughts, you begin to experience clarity of mind. And with that clarity of mind, you can hear God speak. So the purpose of meditation is to recenter ourselves in God, to move beyond thought. In fact, there was one uh, wonderful early Christian mystic by the name of Evagrius Ponticus who said, Prayer is the letting go of thoughts. And so we, we have a meditative practice where we intentionally focus on our breath, where we're still so that we can know God. God is known not up here in the mind, but in the heart. And then the goal is to hopefully take that same state of mind and allow that to infiltrate your whole day. That's what's called contemplation. And all of this in the Christian tradition has been spoken of as the deepest way to pray. So a lot of people don't realize all this new fad stuff, Christians have been doing this for a while. We just don't, we're ignorant of our own treasure. And I'm really not even saying anything new. I'm just bringing out all the old stuff we've ignored. I'm just blessed I get to have an education and uh, bring this to people. It's, what's interesting to me is that it's how, like you talked about, even the way we breathe, you know, when God, if God made us in this way where these things actually impact us, you know, the things that sometimes as Christians, we could just shove aside and say the way, you know, focusing on breathing, how does, what's, how's that connected to, you know, prayer, your prayer life or when you talk about meditation in this way. Um, it's interesting because that's the way God made this being to function and to operate, we can't dismiss that, I feel, you know, like. Oh, my goodness, people, listen, the, the, there's so many things you can say about breath, right? But the word spirit in the Hebrew is the word ruach, and it can literally be translated as breath, which is why the spirit of God is referred to as the breath of life in the scriptures. And in Genesis chapter 1, it, it says that God breathed his own breath 
into humanity. The very Spirit of God is the breath within us. So, of course, there's a connection between breath and God. Yeah. Because when you're paying attention to your breath, you're not paying attention to all of your thoughts. Why, why is it that when we're super angry, isn't it like the best thing to say sometimes? Like, just breathe. It's okay. Just breathe. Yeah. Because we're, we're, we're getting lost in the, in the craziness of our mind. We're becoming reactionary. We're not living in the spirit. And so we got to come back to our center. I, the, one of the things that I was coached on was, you know, I used to, and I can still, if I don't control it, I can fly off the handle pretty easy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so one of the things that I have put into practice is even if I'm trying to balance work and then my son's pulling for my attention at the same time and one or the other like stresses me out, what I have to do is I stop and I was taught it's just four seconds, breathe in, four seconds, breathe out. And it is so ridiculous how simple that is. And how all of a sudden it recenters me. It's like, what? How did I? First of all, I had to pay to learn that from therapy, but it cost me a lot more than just learning how to breathe. But it's pretty incredible. And so, anyway, I, I've enjoyed this conversation um, with you. I feel like I could have a lot of different conversations with you that would all be very yeah, interesting. We could talk forever. Man. Oh, dude, I love it. And I think the biggest thing for me in this conversation that I would love to kind of wrap it up with would be, you know, what I love about you, one, is your humility in the journey. So you have come from a, one place to another, I would say, and you're in that process. But you're not looking back at what was and saying they're wrong. You know, I can't believe they think like this. So I appreciate that even in the way you, as I see your videos and things you content and put out, your humility is one of the most admirable things because a lot of guys that maybe get their own revelation, their own truth can kind of neglect. Yeah, we, we weaponize that too. That's what I realize. I now I NT Wright says fundamentalists, uh, uh, oh, excuse me. Yeah. Fundamentalists do not have a monopoly on closed mindedness. So like, yeah, I left all that stuff and I became more progressive. But when I was progressive, I was just as close minded because if you weren't like me and I had to move beyond that too. So. That is exactly right. Okay. So the last thing I would ask you then just to someone who's been on a journey, still on a journey of, you know, sort of your faith here. What's one of the most important things that we can do if we find ourselves in this season of, you know, I just don't know what to believe. What's the, what would be the thing that you've learned from your journey? Maybe what to do, what not to do one thing on each. I would just say, listen to your life. What God, does that mean? God always comes to us disguised in the form of our life. If you don't know what to believe, that's fine. Don't worry about trying to have to figure out what to believe. Just immerse yourself into the experience of life. Listen to your life. Take the posture of a student and begin to ask, what does this circumstance I'm in, what, what does this person who's in my life have to teach me? And in and through that journey, you will find what will be your truth. And it will be so much more than just a belief. It will be a deep knowing that nobody can take away from you. I like that. Well, I like to close off every single one, just really just acknowledging and commending you for just your boldness, one, your humility, number two, and just the respect that I have from you from a distance here watching you be someone who is not just doing this for themselves, but they're bold enough to step out and say, Look, if there's someone else that might be in the same shoes as me, I know what this feels like. I want to help them through that. Committing your life to that is something that I, I respect a lot. And just the way you, you're, you're trying to learn, you know, you're, I know you're going, are you still going for your doctorate right now? Yeah, I'm at, uh, I'm at Fuller working on my, on my uh, doctoral project as we speak. So Yeah, and, I, and so I just want to, you know, commend you. I know you are really fighting hard to find Thank the brilliance that God has for your life and then inspire that in others. So I just want to, you know, you I appreciate that, man. that means a lot from you, man. Again, I, I have such a great respect for you, your professionalism, the content you put out and the consistency and the excellency. And so I really take that as a badge of honor coming from you. So thank you, man. All right. Well, how, where can people connect to you online? For sure. Well, I'm easy to find on social media, on Facebook, Danny Prada, 
um, Instagram, D underscore Prada, Twitter, Danny underscore Prada, heartwaychurch.com, and then we have a podcast. And so on that podcast, you can hear my teachings weekly, and uh, you can just search Heartway Church on iTunes or find us at podbean.com slash heartwaychurch. Great. Yeah, and I would definitely... I put you in the mix to uh, someone that I like to listen to. I'm not good at weekly listening to the same people. You're in the mix though on someone I really do love listening to because it, I don't have to agree every single thing with everything you say, but it challenges me to think about something differently every time I listen to you. So I would encourage everybody to for sure immediately go listen to the podcast on iTunes and then of course connect with him. I'll put all those notes in the show notes. So thanks for all your time today, man. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and I would love for you to connect with Danny. He's a great follow on Instagram, especially for those who I think I would call, just like he said, spiritually curious. Uh, He is a great voice of love and encouragement to have in your corner. So follow him. All the links are in the show notes and check out the podcast as you heard us talk about at the end of the show there. As always too, if you're enjoying this podcast, I would encourage you to share the episode with somebody. You can do that by copying the link here and sending them directly to the show. Uh, Another great way to let people know about the show is to just screenshot the episode and share it across social media. And a really simple way for you to help me with the show is to just rate and review the show. When you get done listening here today, if you have not rated and reviewed the show, it would mean a lot if you would take a chance to do that. And really what it ultimately does is it helps those who are discovering the show for the first time have an idea of what they're about to get into. And so just taking a minute to rate it and then leaving a short review really means a lot and it helps those who are gonna find the show for the very first time. If you want to stay connected beyond this show, a simple way to do that is text the word brilliant to the number 33777. You can stay connected with me beyond the show by signing up for the Fight for Brilliance email that goes out. Again, just text the word brilliant to the number 3377 to sign up for that. And I love keeping the conversation going on social media. And so you can find me using the handle at Keller Thinks across Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And I would love to connect with you if we're not connected there. And send me a message. Let me know what you thought about the show. And let's keep challenging each other to rebel against complacency and conformity and to fight for brilliance in every single area of our lives. I'll look forward to being with you for the next episode. But until then, here is your weekly reminder that you, yes, you, you are brilliant.